0: Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Here on Modern Mom Probs, you know, we're trying to solve the world's problems, but if we can, at least we're having fun talking about it. Today's topic is Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers with Stephanie McNeil. Stephanie McNeil is a senior editor for Glamour. Previously, she was a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News, where she also founded the Trending News team. She is the author of the new book, Swipe Up for More, about the influencer industry. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like you're like the final part of the trifecta of guests that I've had that are like, write about social commentary of influencers. And so what I mean by that is like, I've had Joe Piazza on the show and I love Joe. Shout out to Joe. I've had Sarah Peterson on the show. She wrote Mom Fluenced. Amazing. Love her. Love that book. Catherine Jezre Morton, who I actually, I spoke to earlier this week on on a Different call just about, I don't know, work stuff and uh, about the influencer industry. Obviously, had her on the show, you obviously. And just yesterday, I recorded with an amazing woman named Jessica Elefante, who wrote a book called Raising Hell, Living Well, which is about like rising above the influence in social media, in life, and things in general. So now I have you, Steph, and I feel like that's it. I have my like my Thanos ring of social commentary. <laughs> on the show. And I'm so excited to have you here. I've been following your work for a really, really long time. You are a writer and a reporter, and I'm using this in quotes because this is your own words, obsessed with internet culture. So Steph, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm very flattered to be in such good company. All of those women are great. And I actually just got Jessica's book. I need to read it. But Yeah. I'm a senior editor at Glamour Magazine. I write about, this is the new thing that I'm trying out. You'll tell me what you think of this description, but like high, low culture commentary. So highbrow concepts and thoughts on traditionally lowbrow coded pursuits. So, you know, pop culture, uh, internet culture, even things like wellness and fashion, you know, are very much, I think, coded as silly or frivolous, you know, not a shocker that they tend to be things that women mostly enjoy. And I really like thinking in depth about those things and trying to extrapolate what they are say about our current time period, what they say about our culture. And yeah, thinking deep about things that we all observe and like to gossip about and absorb every day.
0: So yes, uh, that is absolutely something that I'm into, which is... <laughs> Why we're here, and yeah, let, let's do it, let's do all of that stuff,
1: yes, yes, you know, deep thoughts about silly things that's kind of what
0: that's kind of what I'm into, <laughs> me too <laughs> that's why that's why I, I can't get enough talking about this kind of stuff. Internet culture and influencer culture is something that I feel like I could talk about for hours, and I'm sure obviously you think about this kind of stuff for hours.
1: I do, I think about it a lot. It's funny because I, when I started working in the news industry, I thought that I should be doing something more quote unquote serious. And I did breaking news for several years. I worked in political journalism for a while but then i realized that the things that i actually really think and care about a lot and have these really deep opinions on and have this like insanely in-depth knowledge about that i wasn't really utilizing was pop culture and internet culture and
0: i just decided to go all in yeah and you went all in 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 your new book which is called swipe up for more inside the unfiltered lives of influencers which i've read and i was very entertained. True story, full, full disclosure. I started the book and I put it down for a little while because it made me feel bad about myself. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, I'm going to push through and I'm going to continue on. And then I continued on and I enjoy it. But it's because that's my own hangup. Yeah.
1: Why did it make you feel bad about yourself?
0: As a content creator- because that's what I obviously do before I even started doing the podcast, right? I was like, gosh, I feel like a failure because these women are uh. crushing it. So I, don't, I, I wasn't coming at it from a layperson's perspective, which right. I'm sure most of your readers for, of that book are laypeople, right? I yeah. was coming at it from a content creator reading it being like, I am a piece of garbage. <laughs> but then, like I said, I pushed through. That's such a relatable
1: feeling though, because I feel like it, that's not unique to the content creator industry. That's every single industry, you know, like there's always someone doing better than you and there's always someone doing worse than you. So I I understand those feelings of imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah. So what motivated you to write the book? Why did you sit down and say, this book needs to happen?
1: Well, I had, I worked at BuzzFeed News for several years, almost a decade. And I, one of the great things about working there was we had a lot of room to experiment. And I ended up founding the trending news team and I ran that for several years. And kind of at the same time, I had been really interested in slash obsessed, you could say, with influencers, not just as like a fangirl, but I was just really interested in kind of how they were changing the way that we consume the type of media that they were putting out. You know, food media, for example, or fashion have really been changed a lot by the internet and influencers in particular. So when I was at BuzzFeed, we had so much room to kind of try things out that I started Just writing about influencers like they were celebrities because I kind of felt like they were, but no one was really talking about it. And an anecdote that I've talked about a couple of times that was a light bulb moment for me was: I remember I was on a plane to Charleston going to a bachelorette party, and. You know, there was a bunch of us all coming from New York on the plane and, you know, some in the front, some in the back, and we're all kind of sitting together. And I remember one of the girls in the bachelorette party when we landed let out this gasp and kind of whips around and turns to all of us. And she goes, something Navy had her baby. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, whipping out their phones. And when I was thinking about that moment later, I was... Like, okay, so I'm in this demographic of, you know, 10 or 12, let's say, millennial, young, interested, smart, engaged women, and they all care about these people. But no one is writing about them as if they were people who were public figures. And I thought that maybe there was just kind of a gap in the market there. And I talk about this in the book where – There was some writing at the time about YouTubers, and I kind of get into why I think that is. But, you know, traditional bloggers we now think of as influencers who were more focused on, you know, kind of like a magazine style content creation were not really being discussed. So I just decided to start writing about them and wrote about them for a couple of years. And the feedback that I was getting from readers was really, really good. So kept going and then eventually thought to myself, why don't I write a book about this? <laughs> Cause I just felt like there was this story there that really hadn't been told. And I also felt like I was at the precipice, which ended up being correct, that we were kind of going into the next stage of whatever this industry was going to be. You know, there was very much in my mind, kind of this first decade that's delineated from this decade that we are now in where content creation is, you know, for better or for worse, considered to be a career. And it is kind of an industry that has its own characteristics now. And there was, but there was this chunk of period, kind of the genesis of all that, that I thought was worth exploring.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of it as, and, to, and tell me what you think here, I like to think of it as sort of like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, because from what I've seen anecdotally, the content is is, is just so different. The, I, I think that the game changed when everyone was home during the pandemic and making videos on TikTok and TikTok exploded the way that it did. That's how I see that everything was a game changer.
1: I think that's actually really probably accurate. I think that in 2019, it's interesting because when I started my Instagram, which is kind of the way that I tried to build up my sources and my kind of, you know, staking a claim in the ground of like, this is something that I'm covering. It was in March, 2019. And I had just started to post some of this, influencer stuff like kind of like petty influencer drama and stuff on Twitter and I went viral a couple of times on Twitter but I got a lot of like really negative feedback and so I was like okay well let me try it on Instagram that's probably where like my people are but it wasn't until the pandemic that I feel like this genre of cultural criticism and analysis and like real discussion about the industry started. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably a good place to delineate it. TikTok is a really interesting beast because it is blending a lot of different types of content in a way that things were a little more siloed before I would say, you know, like it was either Instagram or you You know what I mean? And I will say that my book really does cover essentially, they're, I s- most of the reporting was done before 2021. So I guess it does kind of cover that period and then kind of cuts it off.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I could see that because with like the true influencers that are more into fashion, home decor, food, that kind of stuff, I feel like they were really thriving pre-pandemic before it really became a lot of video because many of them were photographers, Originally.
1: Yeah. And the explosion of content creators that we now are seeing on TikTok, where it just seems like there's a new person every single day. I would say from 2016 to 2020, we were really seeing on Instagram where there were these people that were just coming out of nowhere. And, you know, I think some people were doing it a little bit of a shady way. You know, people were just kind of blowing up and, you know, riding the algorithm and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, you could really go viral on Instagram and really become huge on Instagram without reels like four years ago, which is kind of a crazy concept to consider right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, pre pandemic. Certainly not now, but pre-pandemic, that's what I, I always, people always say, Tara, how did you build your account the way that you did? And, and I say, I was just very fortunate with the algorithm. The algorithm at that point, I was I was a darling to the algorithm and that just sort of happened the way that it did. Now, not necessarily the case. It's a really crowded market and rightly so, because there's so many talented people out there doing so many right. amazing things. And so I can't say that, but yes, I can vouch for what you're saying there.
1: And I think one of the reasons why I find it really interesting to think critically about the way that the industry has evolved is because it changes so rapidly all of the time. I mean, I think everything before COVID feels like a really, really long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago to think that, yeah, I mean, four years ago, there was no TikTok did exist. And I used to watch TikTok and it was really fun back then, but I would say the general American public did not had not adopted it yet and there were no reels. There was like very little video happening. I mean, that was only four years ago. And I think that that's something that is really interesting as we look into this really rapidly going industry going forward is that in five years, it is extremely likely, in my opinion, that something completely different will be the big thing. And I think a lot of times people in the industry, but also outside of the industry, get very tunnel vision where they're like, this is the only thing that matters. And it's like, well, no, not exactly. I mean, I, have, I don't know what the next uh, evolution is going to be, but I just know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I've had my account since 2016, so I've been doing it for a really long time. So I feel like I have seen the evolution of different types of content. On Instagram, which is why I, I sort of see it as like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic being very different things. But like you said, who knows what the next evolution is going to be?
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a minute that people were saying it was going to be Clubhouse, but that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> no, I was kind of waiting for that. I was like, all right, what's going on now? And that obviously just sort of fizzled and in, in went away. Now I feel like everyone I know is starting podcasts. So I feel like people are yeah. moving off of social to podcasts, which look, this is us right now, right? We're we're yeah. chatting. And for me personally, I am not a short form video girl. I just I just feel awkward doing it. It's just not my jam. But having said that, because I think that I would rather have a 40-minute conversation with you and talk about all this kind of stuff versus a seven-second reel. Everyone has their own talent, right? Everyone has their their own things that they prefer. But that's sort of where my interest lies versus the short-form video.
1: And I think that that's something that has really been nice to see in the, let's say, aftermath of the TikTok boom is that I think that people are kind of realizing you don't have to be everything for everyone. And I think one of the nice things about the influencer industry is almost every person you talk to follows different influencers and they get different things out of them. And you don't need to be someone who has 50 million followers and every single person in the country loves you. You could be someone with a hundred thousand followers and people really like you and you can make a really good income and really have a fruitful career. So I think that's something that, you know, is really A really cool thing about the content creator industry as it's maturing is people are realizing that, you know, you can kind of stay in your lane and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned incomes. I want to jump into that because you talk about it in the book quite a bit. The hard thing about about incomes in in, uh, this industry is that it's like the wild, wild west. I've been saying that for years. It's the wiki wiki wild, wild. It is so like the disparities are insane. But can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yes. So I would say for the first 10 years of the quote-unquote influencer industry, there was absolutely no regulation whatsoever. And so it really was these big corporations basically seeing that in influencers, they could get an extremely good deal. And I go into in depth talking about this in the book, but essentially... If you're trying to get in front of a million people, let's say, and you could pay an influencer $10,000 and not have to do anything and get in front of their million people versus, you know, buying a print or digital ad or a television ad, which is going to cost probably a lot more money, going to involve way more people, and it's going to be overall a way bigger headache. For these companies, it was an extremely good deal. And the influencers were just literally normal people for the most part. And so normal people were having these huge corporations come to them and be like, hey, we'll way lowball you for this stuff. But the lowball is so much money because they're providing the same budget that they would for like a commercial or something like that. So I think that's something, and I I don't want to go too into it because you can read about it in the book, but there's a lot of money because there's a lot of value. And I think that's something that people don't really understand. And it's, I find it hard to talk about because people get very like annoyed with me when I talk about it. Why? Because they intrinsically don't think that influencers provide any value to corporations when to me, it seems rather obvious that they do. You know, at the end of the day, big corporations want to be in front of the American consumer to get them to buy their products and influencers are able to move product. Like that is just a fact. And that is a commodity that is highly valued and they get paid a lot of money to do it. And that really, really, really bothers people. And it's interesting because I feel like I tried to talk about the money part of the industry just trying to kind of show the facts and be like, look, this might make you uncomfortable for whatever reason, but this is a commodity. Influencers are able to do it. Companies are seeing these big returns. And so that's why this is happening. Like these influencers aren't getting paid all of this money because they're like, sneaky or stealing you know people kind of think it's like a scam and it's like no this is this is it and then I get you know responses by people saying oh my gosh you're just apologizing for the influencers and I think people should really unpack
0: that because it's like no I'm literally just explaining this (laughs) you're like I'm walking you through how the industry works this is how capitalism works
1: Right. Like if you have a problem with it, maybe you should have a problem with capitalism. Like, do I think that it is fair that, you know, someone can, someone with 500,000 people following them can get paid for providing that audience to a brand? Do I think that's fair that they get paid more than a teacher? Absolutely not. But like, That's capitalism, baby. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And, but I think that people are just very, very hung up on this idea that it's not fair, that it's somehow a fraud, I think. And I really, really do think, and I, 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 again, people get mad at me for saying this again, but I do think that it's sexism at the root of it because I think that the idea that women are being paid this much money to, to provide a commodity to corporations is very triggering for people.
0: This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Stylebox is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. That makes a lot of sense. And then also, you know, even sort of going one step deeper, there's a big disparity amongst content creators who are stereotypical white, thin, hetero, blonde, women and women of color.
1: Absolutely. And I think that one thing that people should realize is the internet is very much a reflection of our culture. It is not a separate entity that grew out of something nebulous. And now we must observe and try to understand like, oh, the internet, like what's going on on the internet? Let's sit down and try to figure it out. No, it's, it's literally a reflection of our culture. So there are huge disparities on who is paid and who is not. There's a lot of, you know, racial disparities. There's a lot of other disparities as well. And, you know, the influencer industry is trying to fight against it, but it is really difficult because our society is so intrinsically, you know, dis- disparate. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, no. That absolutely makes sense. That that completely makes sense. In the book, you talk about affiliate marketing. And I feel like you, you spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, affiliates. Care to explain what that means and, and how these women are doing so wildly successful businesses based on affiliate marketing are you talking about like, like to know it yeah because you spent quite a bit of time like it used to be reward style is that what it was Reward. yeah style? and then it transitioned over
1: yeah so there's basically if you're a content creator there's three kind of main buckets that you can make money out of the first i would say was be direct deals with brands so that's brands paying you to promote a product and then the second i would say biggest and you know you can let me know what you think since you're actually one of them would probably be affiliate marketing which is essentially they are not being paid directly by the brand to promote something but they are getting kickbacks for sharing something so These are things that you genuinely might like and enjoy, but every time someone buys something from you, you are getting a percentage of the profit from the brand for bringing a customer to their company. So it's kind of the same thing, but it's a different flavor. And one of my favorite parts of the book was really kind of delving deep into that concept as well, because people I think don't really understand it. They're like, well, why are people getting paid for affiliate marketing? Why are they getting paid for like to know it? Why are they getting paid every time I click? And essentially it used to be that, you know, influencers would post all of these products and they would be like, I love this shirt from Abercrombie and they would want their followers to be able to buy it. So they would have the link and then Abercrombie would be getting, you know, 60% 60% more sales that day or something like that. And the influencer wouldn't be getting any sort of income for providing that free marketing. And so then companies like, like to know it sprung up and kind of helped create that partnership between the brand and the influencer. Now it's really tricky for influencers to kind of manage that relationship because there's kind of always the question of like, okay, so is it a chicken or the egg situation? Like, are you actually sharing things that you like and then, you know, kind of taking a fee for your services or are you literally just selling anything you possibly can to get an affiliate link? And I think that's something that, you know, some people are able to do really well. Some people are able to do very poorly. I think sometimes people get really annoyed and they'll be like, why is every single influencer promoting XYZ product? And, you know, it's usually because something like, you know, a company, a used to offer 5% of all sales and now they want more influencers to sell their stuff. So now they're offering 20%. So now if you sell that stuff, you can make even more money. So it's a really fine line to walk as the influencer because your followers are going to notice if all of a sudden you're like promoting, you know, orange juice. And they're like, you never did this before. Why are you so obsessed with orange juice? And then, you know, it's probably that orange juice is paying them a 20% commission. I was trying to think of something that wasn't like a real
0: company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's a whole industry of things. Yeah, but No, that that makes sense. Thank you for breaking that down because that is exactly how that stuff works. And I want to talk about parasocial relationships because that is really at the core of the influencer industry, because if people haven't cultivated a parasocial relationship with their community, then none of that orange juice is going to move off the shelves. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think that's something that is a really interesting product of our interconnected age, right? Is the reason people want to buy from influencers is they trust them. They feel like they know them enough to trust them. But it also has this other flip side, where you know the relationship that they have with an influencer may be more than a relationship that they have with a celebrity. Now, I will say that that is changing a lot because a lot of influencers are or celebrities are basically influencers, and there's a lot of parasocial going on there too. But people almost see influencers as not exactly a friend, but like kind of a friend, and if your friend does something that disappoints you it can feel a lot more like a betrayal than if it's just, you know, some random celebrity or something like that. So I think it's really, really, di- it's a really fine line. And I'm sure, you know, you've experienced this as well. It's a really fine line for the influencers to try and be authentic, share things they actually enjoy, connect with their followers, but also try to, you know, make money so they're not just creating all this content for free, have genuine partnerships, you know, feel like they're shell- and then, you know, never doing anything that make people question their intentions.
0: All of that, really. That's so, so simple. Yeah, it's just That's all we have to do. fine. No big deal. (laughs) But you actually explained that very well. You articulated that very well because that is a lot of what we do.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that for the most part- it's kind of a cream rises to the top situation where I think that in my observation, the people who are kind of inauthentic or immoral or disingenuous in the way that they sell products or use their following, not everyone, but kind of Peter out. And I think the people I would say as a general rule, the people who you see who have really been around for a really long time are there because they're able to, to walk that line effectively.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. Can, can you speak? Cause now I feel like we're getting like heavy. And so I'm just going to sit in, in the heaviness here. Can you speak about go me, get off my internets? Cause you mentioned yeah. that in the book. So, like that's a little bit of the darker side of this industry.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that's really interesting as well is Get Off My Internets, I think, had very kind of snarky and, you know, somewhat mean spirited intentions from the beginning. For those who don't know, it's this forum where people go and basically gossip about influencers like you would gossip about a celebrity. So there's different forums where you can talk about different people or you can kind of just talk about everyone. But at least at the beginning, it was also just kind of a place to connect with people who also found influencers slash bloggers slash YouTubers interesting, you know, because there was so little media out there about them. And it was kind of this like niche hobby. People would go on there and they would be like, oh my gosh, did you see so-and-so is getting divorced? That's so crazy, which, you know, on its face is not... A mean thing to say, and it's not a necessarily a bad thing to say. It's kind of a natural human response that, you know, if we're invested in someone, that we'll want to discuss them if they're sharing their lives publicly. But as a lot of things on the internet do, it soon really devolved into kind of this almost obsessive speculation and really tearing people down. You know, some of the forums on there can get extremely nasty you know, I remember back in the day, people would be like diagnosing everyone's kids with like horrible illnesses. And they'd be like, this kid doesn't look like right, quote unquote, which is like horrible, horrible, horrible speculating about people's marriages. Yeah. So it's like, once you kind of bring kids to the equation, you kind of lose any argument for being, you know, kind of just a place to discuss, quote unquote. But in the beginning, it really kind of was the only place where there was a little bit of a check and balance on the industry as well, because if people were doing things that were overtly shady, there was nowhere else to discuss it. So I do think in a way, and I say this in the book that some of the things that ended up becoming standard practice in the industry, like disclosing affiliate links were somewhat enacted because of this pressure coming out of places like get off my internets where people were kind of complaining about this stuff. But I would say net negative overall, <laughs> and now it's kind of a cesspool, right, <laughs> as right. on the internet, post-Trump have cub.
0: Right, right, right. No, absolutely. Months ago, Joe was on my show, Joe Piazza was on my show talking about the unfortunate passing of Heather Armstrong, and that's actually, I think that was the whole topic that that Joe and I were chatting about, we were talking about Heather Armstrong who had died by suicide and get off my internet was relentless to her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, she was really one of the first big bloggers and, you know, I think people call her the original mommy blogger. You know, she really, really, Set a lot of the foundations for a lot of the industry as we know it today, which means that, you know, she really was one of those people who was really, really, really discussed play on places like that. And yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anyone who lives publicly in any state or form online who hasn't faced really, really intense online harassment. And it's really kind of a scourge. And I don't really know, I don't think we've really figured out what makes people be so cruel online but it's, it's not just influencers. It's literally everyone. I do think it also got a lot worse during the pandemic as well. I don't know if you experienced anything like that.
0: I think it's because everyone was home and everyone was stressed and their, their kids were home and getting on their nerves. And then everyone yeah. just became like keyboard warriors. I, I'm not sure. I
1: know. I, I really want to unpack like why though, like even if I'm really stressed, like no offense to him, but I would just like yell at my husband. Like, I'm not going <laughs> Go,
0: like, <laughs> insult some woman on the internet. <laughs> that you don't know and that you've never spoken to and you never will speak to again, going yeah. in hard on her. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's hard. I speak a lot about the mental health of content creators. I, I've been on podcasts about it. I've spoken at Summits. I spoke at Mom 2.0 about it because... It's something that, again, this is a new industry, right? And and we're sort of like in an untapped, like industry. And in as much as like, what about what? A, I'm going to break this down a couple ways. One, what about the children, right? As as kids who are content, right? And two, but what about the content creators and influencers themselves to be on this hamster wheel, a feeling that you always need to produce content, sell the affiliate links, B engaging and fun whether that's authentic to yourself or not authentic to yourself right like to be all of those things and essentially the things that you had mentioned earlier on in our conversation to do all of those things and be all of those things all of the time and then add on the algorithm into it increased competition all of that kind of stuff so mental health of content creators is really like one of my like special pet projects
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about this in the book. I think it is, and it's a career that's full of extremes, to be honest. I think that it can be extremely rewarding. I think working for yourself for something you built yourself is in many ways, the American dream or just the world dream. You know, you can make a lot of money, a lot of money, but I think that there are huge costs that come with it. And I think that's maybe peop- a lot of people, let's say in these this first wave that we were discussing earlier, I don't think they realized that because a lot of the people who were the first influencers, the industry grew along with them. So I think if you were going to start to be an influencer now, you should have at least a better idea of what you're getting yourself into where it's really not just a career where, you know, I wake up every day, Oh, here's a picture of my outfit. And I just get paid all this money. It's going to be awesome. You know, like, and I think that that's something that, you know, we don't talk about enough that there are huge, huge downsides to being in this industry. You know, I think the lack of privacy is a huge one. I think that people don't know how it's going to affect them until you're in that position. Your family and kids not having privacy is obviously another huge one, which is why, you know, I wrote a whole chapter in the book on that specifically because that was something that I really wanted to highlight. Yeah. And, you know, having a career where your livelihood is tied to a platform, is extremely untenable which is why, you know, people like yourself are moving into doing things like podcasts that you own and control, which I think is awesome and really smart. And it's just relentless. You know, a lot of influencers don't take any time off. I know that there's a couple like, um, Didi Rad, I can think off the top of my head. I know she takes like two weeks off every year, but I think she still schedules stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a lot. And I don't say that to, you know, be like, oh no, poor influencers. Like, no, no, no. It's just like, I think as, you know, this industry matures and evolves and it's become something where, you know, there's all of these kind of scared headlines right now. That's all Gen Z is wants to be as an influencer, yada, yada. And it's like, well, let's just not look at it from these extremes. Like let's look at the nuance of what this actually is like as a career. And I think it is kind of, it's a career full of a lot of big wins and a lot of low lows. And I think you have to be prepared for that
0: if that's something that you want to get into. Well said. I agree a thousand percent. Do you think that's why people are starting to like lean into the soft girls movement?
1: <laughs> I Yeah, I think that soft girls are a radical response to the impossibilities of living under late stage capitalism. <laughs> but yeah, you know, when I you know, when I was doing interviews for the book, you know, you talk to all different sorts of people. And so obviously, you know, I ended up on some calls with some very sweet older men who, you know, did not have a lot of insight into the industry. And a lot of them kind of gave me this line that I heard over and over again, where it's like, well, you know, my daughter's in college, and she says she wants to be an influencer. And I don't know about that. And, something that I honestly hadn't thought a lot about until I started talking, but then really kind of crystallized for me was Gen Z does not have a very good model right now of how to live a fruitful life under the current, like traditional workplace model. You know, they really went through COVID when, you know, it was really difficult to have any sort of job. And then after that, the economy has been all over the place And, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of, you know, a classic millennial. I was born in 1989. And when my friends were graduating into the job market, kind of a tech job was considered the end all be all. And now a decade or so later, everyone's getting laid off from these supposedly, you know, rock solid tech jobs. And so, but there's not another thing waiting on the wings for Gen Z to kind of launch onto, you know, every industry is so volatile. It seems like you could just be discarded at a moment's notice. And I think that for them, there's something really radical and stable almost about, well, why would I want to put my fate in the hands of a corporate overlord who can just get rid of me and like ruin my life at any moment? Why would I not try and bet on myself? Like, Maybe I'll just try to do this myself. Maybe I'll just try to build a platform. Maybe I'll just try to, and it's not just, you know, sharing clothes on Instagram. I think, you know, people now who are entering things like real estate or literally anything, they're like, well, I'm going to build my platform first, you know, because that gives me something to launch off of. So I think with the soft girls thing, which is basically women who are kind of rejecting this girl boss model and wanting to, you know, focus on their mental health and their wellness and their quote unquote feminine energy (laughs) um, is just a kind of another symptom of that same disease where kind of looking at this world Americans have built for ourselves and being like. I don't really want any part of that. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the people who I see on TikTok who are really promoting the soft girl lifestyle are making money off their soft girl content. So it's kind of like a backdoor, you know? It's like, yeah, you can live this soft girl lifestyle because
0: you're making all this money off your content creation. Exactly, exactly. And don't forget to swipe up for more and get 15% off if if you use this code.
1: Right, and I mean- it's good work if you can get it, but like I said, there's a lot of downsides of the industry as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Steph, where can everyone find your book?
1: You can find it anywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, which gives to independent bookstores, at your local indie, yeah, anywhere. And I have links all over my Instagram at Steffi McNeil. I post all my work there. So if you want to see what I'm up to, what I'm writing about, you can find me there.
0: Awesome. I love it. Steph, you are amazing. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest, and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow, or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.